my last comic book was in 2006 and most of it was drawn by October 2005 I remember that's when I handed it into Fantagraphics and that was the last comic book that I did I did some children's comics I just did one that came out last year and I drew one that'll be out in the fall I don't know I guess they're comics as well I, I don't know but it's a little bit different than um like a totally personal comic. The thing that people know you for. Yeah, I guess I've really been out of the whole loop of comic books. And doing the comics for kids has actually been really interesting for me because I didn't know if I could really reach that audience. But it's a nice challenge to see if you can make little kids laugh. And I was relieved to find out that I could make little kids laugh. I guess it's still comics. It's uh, it's just different from the sort of searing personal stuff, like cathartic stuff I was doing a long time ago. I don't know. I just feel bad about myself all the time. I haven't been doing much drawing the last 10 years. I got really mired in the world of academia. And then there was just one day where I was at the front of the classroom and I said, I just can't do this anymore. That was nine years ago. Because of many complications during that time, I just couldn't leave that job. That was a joke, by the way. The <laughs> but it's true. It's funny because it's true. I did decide I didn't really want to teach anymore about nine years ago. Just personal complications. I just couldn't leave that job. I think just financially, health insurance, a number of other things. But I knew that it wasn't really for me. But I stuck it out and did it. And then last year, I just, um, I just thought, I just can't. I really can't do this anymore so I thought I'd do something else I'm still working for the same school I just have a different role I'm working as a college advisor so if you remember what that was in college be the person you go to and ask like how many math classes do I need and how am I going to graduate on time do I have I to go to summer you're the person that people now turn to for career advice yeah well um, I try not to go into that area because the faculty is supposed to be the yeah. career mentors and we have another career center and I mostly just try to get the students through to graduate on time and take the required courses which should be more obvious than it is but it just isn't and sometimes it isn't even that clear to me how things are structured so um i could understand their confusion but that's kind of what i do but there's just uh this is a registration time right now so it's a really big rush period and it's just a never-ending stream of problems and students coming in and calling emailing and um so i'm just burned out on humanity after the last couple of days so i apologize if i seem out of sorts do you ever not feel burned out on humanity um no you're right about that i guess i'm always burned out on this i'm just more burned out yeah, especially now I'm, I'm not even an ember i'm just uh kind of like when the match has done and it's just that little so you usually are, you're usually glowing a little bit like maybe there's a little bit of heat coming right off yeah of you. like a pulsating yeah. kind of ember yeah. i'm not even that anymore it's just like a molecule of charcoal at this point so you didn't love teaching um I, I know when i first started doing it i really liked it i think compared to just working um nine to five in an office or whatever it was nice to, as a kind of break from that to go into this other world and when i first started teaching i was teaching very few students at a time and it was continuing education so a lot of the students were older and I kind of like that. And then as I got into uh, just teaching undergraduates, I don't know what it is. I'm just not cut out for it. As I've, I've learned that too late. I've tried really hard, but it's just I just want to get back to drawing, I think, because I felt more confident when I first started doing it because I was still drawing. And I thought of myself as a cartoonist. And so I could delude myself into thinking I had some authority on the subject. The less I did of the drawing, because more and more of my time was spent doing kind of administrative work. There's a lot of administrative work connected to teaching, and I was doing a lot of it. I just felt less and less connected to the actual craft, and 
I also started teaching uh, a lot of other courses that weren't comics related and I was part of an illustration program and I don't really think of what I do as illustration with comics anyway. I'm more, I, I never really agreed with lumping comics and illustration yeah. together. There's crossover certainly for a lot of artists. There is, but um, I think the writing aspect gets short shrift when it's part of an illustration yeah. program. You're doing covers or you have done covers for the I, New Yorker. I have that done illustration. As... No, I, I mean, that's the thing. I have done illustration. Yeah. And more and more, I was, uh, I guess, having trouble teaching classes on drawing because people look at my, students could look up my drawings. They don't even look like drawings, so they don't really make sense to them. I mean, I have some ability for drawing. I'm not a great draftsman, but I think there was just like a lack of trust with students um, because they could just Google what I do and, you know, it doesn't look like what they're trying to do at all. Anyway, the less I felt connected to having a life connected to drawing, I felt disconnected kind of from what gave me the confidence to teach in the first place, which was experience, because I didn't have the right degree. I was reminded of that all the time, like, you don't have the correct degree. And I just thought, well, then don't have me teach then, <laughs> you know? I mean, I don't. I probably could have benefited from going to a graduate school or studying art. I didn't even study art as an undergraduate. All of that together, I didn't feel confident anymore. And I think the students can smell that right away, and they pounced. How much of that was just you projecting? I mean, obviously... I think I'm always correct about it. No, I don't. Actually, I don't trust my own thoughts or feelings yeah. generally because... Um, I guess I ask yeah. because, you know, if you were a science teacher, none of the students are going to, to get mad at you because, you know, you don't have a Nobel Prize. Right. Well, yeah, I know. It's a... It's different with, yeah, you know what, it's just my own personal failing. I just realized I wasn't the right person to teach these subjects. Something just uh, went wrong somewhere where I, I, I didn't feel confident. It was just harder and harder to connect with the students. I mean, every year there would be a couple of students I really connected with. It was always the people that really wanted to be cartoonists. And with those students, they made it worthwhile to keep going. But it just seemed like every year there would be fewer and fewer of students in that category. So I guess it just got to be a little bit more of a grind over the years. But I worked with a lot of the students on putting together comics. I think that kept me going, like kind of doing a comics anthology with the students. So I can't say, you know, this was across the board. There were students yeah. every year that I really respected and was inspired by them. Um, it just, um, there was just kind of fewer and fewer every year that I felt that kind of connection with. And I just, I think that all just contributed to feeling like maybe I'm on the wrong path. This is the whole thing about getting a, getting a day job. When you're able to still do what you want to do, you can still, I don't know if dilute yourself is the right word, but you can still convince yourself, well, I, yeah, I'm still a cartoonist. I'm still doing this on the side. And that just, that kind of went away. Yeah. I didn't even feel like it was a hobby anymore. Um, and some of that was my own fault, too. I've, I've had time off from teaching, and I, I just couldn't get focused on drawing. I just, something was lost, you know. Um, it gets harder as you get older, too. To, to oh, yeah, I don't have the same energy. energy. Yeah, I mean, when I was, when I did my first comic book, it was a lot easier to stay up really late and get up early the next day and just go to my job and kind of live that way or, like, work every weekend on yeah. it. And uh, as you get older... You don't have the same amount of energy. Yeah. It's just a fact. In 2006, or I guess the lead up to that, was it clear that this was going to be your last comic for a while? No, I, I, I mean, my life just went in a whole different direction that I didn't want it to go into. I remember like around... reality intervened? Yeah, I'm not a big fan of reality, so <laughs> it's, it's usually not done um, much good for me. But 
I remember this was around 2007, and I only remember that because of some other comics events going on. There were some cartoonists in town, and one of them was Joe Sacco. And he said to me, <laughs> you know, Ivan, just fuck your students. Just focus on your comics. You know, fuck teaching. And I, at the time, I mean, he was being funny. He's a very funny, yeah. uh, warm guy. But And I remember thinking, like, no, I mean, I really, I just need a job, and I need to do this. And but I'm looking back now, like, 11 years later, that's probably what I should have done at that time. I should have kind of doubled down on really pursuing being an artist but instead i kind of just wanted the safety and security of having the job and the health insurance and i think i put all my chips into that area thinking well i'll still do my own work in the evening or weekends and didn't really think about it like that i'd get older and have less energy and there would just be more and more distractions and issues to deal with and i'm sure joe sacco doesn't remember any of this but um there might have been alcohol involved this <laughs> evening, but... He was probably, you know, just on a layover between war-torn countries. Uh, yeah, he's probably tired of listening to me whine about my life, so he's just like, just forget just forget what you're doing and focus on your art, yeah. which is what he was saying. Like, um, I think probably because I was driving people crazy. At that time, I was really trying to get a full-time teaching job. I was doing it part-time at a, at a couple different schools. And, and on top of having a full-time job, then I would teach at a, you know two different schools in the evening and i think i started doing the anthologies for yale right around that time so that maybe a year before that or two yeah it just seemed like i think i was filling my life up with everything but drawing which is really my own failing i think i was afraid to see where my stories would go because i i mean i reveal a lot of myself uh in those older comics of mine but i've barely scratched the surface i think of a lot of uh, personal pain and i think i decided not to delve that deeply into kind of telling more of my own story i think i got afraid or something i mean i'm just trying to psychoanalyze myself I, you know when you get older you just you can see your mortality and feel it just in a different way you know every year that goes by it's just a little more palpable well i could probably count how many years i have left on the earth like I, you know so there's not that much time left if i want to do a longer story using comics i kind of have to start now and need to kind of make some changes in my life to get to that point is your inevitable death is that a motivating factor yeah it is because usually when i have to look at it that bluntly i guess or that frankly i should say i mean the way i feel is you know it's just overwhelming the implications of that so i just want to jump in front of the train as it's coming in and splat and then i don't have any just get it over i'm I'm that kind of person like with anxiety i'd rather get it over with you know like when i'm whenever i'm on a balcony because i'm afraid of heights i just want to jump off so i don't have to feel that way anymore that anxiety but then if i calm down i'll say you know i just need to change my life path here and so yeah i mean i changed my job recently and got away from teaching but it's sort of like going from the frying pan into the fire and this is not the solution you've actually gotten further away from drawing because at least you were some you were somewhat drawing adjacent before you know it could be that it's just been really busy i'm learning a new job and it feels overwhelming and maybe it'll it'll all calm down and i'll feel less tired when i get home 
But um, I don't know. That might not happen. So I really need to start thinking about trying to make a living drawing. And I think that's really scary for me. I have no faith in myself whatsoever. So This is a question that comes up a lot on the show, just with creative people in general. Is it better to get a job that's tangentially related mm-hmm. to what it is that you want to do? Or is it better to just go completely in the opposite direction? Yeah, I think that's going to vary from person to person. Sure. You know, and, and uh, I've actually had students that have that question in front of them. One student I've had that has done really great work and was doing great work as a student is Nick Tornasso, who's being published by Drawing and Quarterly now. You know, I remember, I mean, years ago, he was kind of, as he was finishing school, he kind of had that choice in front of him. And I thought he was talented enough that he should just stick it out with a crappy job that has nothing to do with drawing and just while he's young and has while that energy. The energy and while you're okay with living in abject poverty for right a exactly while. and um you know things have, are working out okay for him he's done two great books now for someone like that that's definitely a better choice than to get a job in a design firm or an advertising agency which are things uh, some of the students i have like would look into maybe you risk just stripping the romanticism away from something completely when you work closely and see you know what do they say how well, the sausage start, is made exactly well you start putting your creative energies into the job because if the job requires creativity even if you're trying to separate you know your own personal private work from what is required of your job it's going to bleed over and in a lot of those jobs that involve doing creative work um, you're going to have the panicky moment of a deadline and you're going to start plucking from ideas that you might have left for yourself or you're going to transform those ideas into something that would work for the job and you kind of compromise them maybe or dilute them in the process. I guess I would err on while well, someone is young, yeah. you know, to to take the risk because as you get older taking the risk is just harder and harder and harder. And I, I've had Uh, former students that kind of went the other way and kind of had a job that was really demanding in a more creative area and after a few years they kind of burned out on it so I think the students that really wanted to be artists eventually leave that kind of job and then get a different job that's not as connected to their art so they can get back into their art and so you know sometimes people just have to learn it the hard way and you might not know until you actually put yourself in the situation for long enough to really figure out what's important to you. You must have thought going into teaching that perhaps being well, around Well, I was lied to. I remember, uh, <laughs> like, well, you're going to be able to do your personal work. Because, but even beyond that, that it would almost be a motivating factor, right? Yeah, and it didn't really quite work that way. I mean, I work for a school that's kind of chronically chaotic, I guess, yeah. in terms of the uh, structure and organization. And I don't deal well or function well in chaos some people do but for me it's not been good and i'm also somebody that will take on extra work because i feel responsible for the students and there are teachers that don't feel quite the same way and they're able to step away from it and um, i feel somewhat that um, i just never learned to put the proper boundaries in or i just it was just maybe my catholic upbringing i feel guilty about everything so i put everything on my shoulders i mean i just had the wrong personality to be able to function in that kind of job do you feel that in order to really dive back into it you would have to put the skids on and completely sort of restructure your life at this point yes (laughs) it's been hard to admit that to myself the last few months though have made that very clear to me that i need to make some big changes very soon and um need to put some plans and get some projects going, get some definite deadlines for myself and maybe try to have enough of those things that, you know, make another big transition into focusing on the artwork 
for a while. And then if, if I fail after a couple of years, I guess I can find some other line of work. I don't know. Do those fears that pushed you away from confessional comics, do those still exist? or? Yeah, but less so as I've gotten older and I'm just thinking, like, who cares? I mean, you have one life, you know, so really what you risk is everybody hating you or, um, or making a fool of yourself or both. I don't know. I guess as I've gotten older, I think that's it's probably worth risking that. For me, the biggest risk would be alienating the people in my life, you know, if it is yes, too that confessional. Is a part of it that I have to worry about, but I've had enough time to think about all that that I think I can um, figure out a way not to do that. And that just have to think about your work and what the goal of it is. And it's not my purpose to alienate people in my life or, um, I don't know, offend them to such a degree. So I, I guess I can change what I'm doing so that doesn't happen. But part of that is looking at yourself a lot more objectively, too. So, and I don't mind doing that. And it's easier for people that write fiction, I think, or draw fiction because there's that a little bit of a barrier where you can change things enough that you know you're not directly referring to your life like in this kind of unfiltered way whereas i made the mistake of just starting with autobiography didn't really think about it when i first started drawing comics i just felt this explosion of something i had to get out of my system but as i got older i realized there's just so many pitfalls to that because you are dealing with real people real life and and then the more you deviate from reality you kind of risk watering down the honesty of your work so it's hard to find that where that line is that you are still communicating what you want to communicate you're protecting people that need to have their privacy protected and at the same time expressing everything you want to express in this kind of unfiltered way so it's really hard to make all those things function when you draw stories about yourself people don't judge the story they judge you yeah because they assume that you have an agenda and i guess most people do for why you're drawing this story and you know are you trying to excuse your behavior or praise your own behavior or choices i mean you know what's the motivation of doing autobiography for you clearly it wasn't ever painting yourself in a better light no for me it was always to put myself in the worst light possible but that's not how others interpret it generally they're like if this is what he's putting on paper he must be a real piece of shit well they would assume that you know you're excusing your behavior (laughs) instead of examining your behavior and kind of almost in a process of self-flagellation or self-mortification that's what i thought i was doing But that's not how most people interpret it. Of course, there's more intelligent readers that can see different layers and are kind of picking up on more of what's going on and why it might be being depicted. Um, But that was kind of frustrating for me. And I think when you write fiction, that it removes that because it really becomes a lot more about creating a story and making sure those pieces fall into place. It's it's certainly, uh, I'm not saying one is easier than the other. It depends on your temperament. I've just found that there are a lot of dangers to autobiography. Um, Maybe there's different ones in fiction, and I I don't know because I don't really do fiction. But for me, that, that became an issue that everyone's judging me instead of the story, and I thought I was still crafting a story. I'm still making decisions about what to put in and not put in. And, you know, you're still crafting a narrative. But I think it's not that easy for people to see that. They just see, here's somebody drawing themselves. How much of an asshole do you have to be to even do that? You know, <laughs> and then, uh, you know, and then they sort of get angry at you and they can't see that you structured a story that 
might have more layers to it, yeah. you know, and I, I guess that became a little frustrating for me. But again, as I've gotten older, I, I'm just thinking like, well, so what? I mean, that's just the price you pay for telling that kind of story. So what, why am I so hung up about that? You use the phrase self-flagellation and that, that sounds very Catholic to me. Yeah, I can't escape that uh, upbringing. I was really into it. I, I wanted to be a priest, not because I wanted to have sex with boys. Just let me make that clear. I was really into the spiritual part of it. I had a, when you say, like, I wanted to be a priest, that just sounds creepy, doesn't it? <laughs> I went to a public school, but I would go to a, they called it catechism. So you go get your Catholic education. And for a few years, we had this Franciscan monk, Father Ildefons. He was a big influence in my life. Like, even my teaching style is a lot like Father Ildefons. He was just kind of crazy. He'd run around the room and slide. He'd, you know, he'd be in, like, the monk's robe and everything and his sandals. And he was so animated. So, like, a James Brown of the monks? Kind of. He was, I, I mean, I realize now that he had a big influence on the amount of physical energy I would put into teaching. I really wanted to do that, like, become a Franciscan monk, more than a priest. So, I did not have intentions toward altar boys. It just, it just, uh, it all has a pretty bad name nowadays, but I think the monastic aspect and kind of got into St. Francis too. I mean, yeah, I mean, I kind of wanted to do that. I just, um, I don't think my family would have ever approved of that. Just like that would have been just as bad or worse than wanting to be an artist, you know, it would just be like, why would you, are you crazy? Why would you do that? That's insane. Look, Franciscan monks don't make any money. That's their whole point. <laughs> take a vow. They dissuaded you from it, or did you just kind of grow out of it? I don't that? even think I ever mentioned that, because it was very uh, big in my family that I had to figure out how I was going to make a living. Like, even when I was eight years old, like, what kind of job are you going to have? And I don't know. I would just, I figured out enough to say, like, ah, I'll be a doctor or a lawyer. All right, that's fine. Then I remember started lying, like, uh, I'll be an architect or an engineer. Because that seemed acceptable. I would have no ability for any of those things, actually. <laughs> so I'd be a miserable failure in any of those fields. So, But it, it got my father especially off my case. But it was such a pressure, this yeah. thing about making money. And I kind of grew up with the, uh, like, you're going to end up living under a bridge. You're going to be a failure. You're an idiot. You're useless. And I think maybe uh, all those things have had a pretty negative effect on me. And maybe that's why I cling, like, have a job. Have a steady paycheck. You know, don't do anything frivolous. Certainly art was a frivolous, stupid thing to do growing up. So I haven't fully gotten rid of those ideas, I guess. I have to admit that to myself. That those still kind of poisoning my life. Are, are you able, though, you know, especially in hindsight now that you've had this break, to look at the body of work that you've created? You know, the fact that you've done multiple covers for The New Yorker, which is, I mean, that's, that's, that is a pretty prestigious gig at the end of the day are you able to look at all that and, and be proud of what you've accomplished well um these are things i talk about with my therapist and uh, i mean i've only been going to see this one for 17 years so we haven't got okay got <laughs> you'll get around it yeah i mean kind of if i combine everybody it's been over 20 years so um i don't know if that's a plug for therapy or not but i don't know it's one of those things of like of, i mean it like, helps me i think it's good that we've stuck together this long but you know, maybe 17 years it might be yeah she's to... gonna retire pretty soon and um, then i'm screwed i mean i have to like think of a transition plan here but that's one of the things you know like holding on to information like that because i just completely forget about it it's as if it never happened every time i get back in front of the a sheet of paper and to try to draw the thought is i can't do this and it takes me a long time to remember force myself to remember well i have done it before i've been published before i was very lucky i, I to get 
a chance to do New Yorker cover. I mean, I just don't even think of it. I have to, like, remind myself. And then it turns into this logical thing, like, so if those things happen, like, why did they happen? So I'll try to examine, like, did people just feel sorry for me? And so they gave me this chance because I whined so much about my life. And, like, okay, you can do a New Yorker cover because you're such a crybaby or whatever. I know Francois not super well, but I yeah. don't think that's no, how Francois that, operates. I know that, but, like, I have to I have to prove to myself, like, that doesn't make any sense yeah, they are not going to publish somebody just because they feel bad for them. So I have to remove <laughs> that from the table and say, like, well, maybe there was something in what I did that appealed to somebody. This is a process you have to go through every single time. I do. And then it's it's still like, well, maybe it was just a fluke. It was an error. Or maybe they regret publishing me. Maybe everybody hated it. I don't know. I just have to kind of go through this whole yeah. thing. And then and then maybe I can force myself to do something again. But it's it's not a good way to be. I mean, I have to go through this every single time where I have to logically prove maybe there was some worth in some way to what I was doing. And that's the only reason that I got those opportunities. So I have to try to use that as proof that I can do it again. I can do something else. I wish it would just come naturally and I could say, like, okay, here's the next. And I think some people that the advantage of just kind of taking a chance early on in your life and devoting yourself to art is that maybe whatever kind of art it is, is that you can kind of turn it into your job. And then it's just, you know, like, okay, this is what I do. And you maybe don't question it so much and you just do it. Now, I've been able to do that in jobs I've had where I don't go through this self-torture. You know, I say like, well, here's what's got to be done. Some of it's difficult. I'm not sure how I'm going to get through it, but I know I can do it. And I can do that with various jobs I've had in my life. But with drawing, it's just that doesn't happen. And I have to I have to kind of cross off these <laughs> reasons for why I got whatever, this crazy opportunity and I didn't deserve it. And If you're doing a job that you don't feel defines who you're, you are, it's easier to sort of do it in the background. Maybe do it half-assed, but certainly not have that kind of investment in it but you've defined yourself as a cartoonist you define yeah. yourself as you know this is this is the thing perhaps you were really put on this earth to do so it's it's uh, yeah, got I, that much more weight to it yeah and i i think i thought the reason i said i just feel like a has-been is i used to feel that way so intensely and then something happened where i just gave up hmm. i have to admit that like i just gave up but some some switch got turned off. I don't know. There was just no more fuel in that area, and and it's uh that was painful. But I think I'm slowly waking up from the consequences of that decision. It's like waking up from a bad dream or something. Yeah. Like, Whoa, what happened? There was supposed to be electricity flowing through here, and there hasn't been, and now there's a short in the whole system. You know, so but now I'm thinking like I got to get a whatever new breaker box. And yeah. Get this thing fixed before all the wires melt into the house and burn everything down. And that's sort of the place I am right now. I'm trying to correct, I think, a lot of these kind of poisonous thoughts that have just stopped me from doing anything. And, and to just accept I have a stupid way of drawing. I don't even like it myself. But this is what I know how to do. And I feel that I still have some story I'd like to tell, which has a lot to do with uh, moving from one country to another when I was young which I've just accepted as like a, a normal thing, but I don't think it's something most people go through. And it took me like 50 years to realize that. Like, oh yeah, that was weird, wasn't it? I'm slowly getting to the point where I feel ready to kind of share that story. I don't think anyone's really going to care. It's not going to set the world on fire. And that's the part I have to just say to myself. Like, it, it's not going to be a big deal. Like, maybe there's five people that would care. 
So you, Brian, might be one. Maybe I'm being <laughs> presumptuous, but I care, Ivan. I care. I believe you do because you went out of your, your way to contact me. So I must. I think there must be some interest there. So, but yeah, there. I don't think there's that many people that are really going to care. But so I can't motivate myself in by thinking like, well, like this was important work, and it it really isn't. But I have to say, like, it's important to me to get this stuff out of my system. I don't know what people will think of it. Maybe, maybe no one will even see it. Maybe I'll just take it with me to my grave and then after I'm dead somebody can publish it. I just have to move all that stuff out of my head and just do it because something is bothering me. I've not been at peace. I tell myself I'm at peace, but I'm not. So I know there's something waiting that's trying to get out of me and go on paper. You mentioned catharsis in the context of doing these autobiographical strips. Did you actually get a sense of that? I mean, did, when you were working through this, was there a sense of therapy? And, and if so, I mean, it that must cathartic, be something that's, yeah. that's missing from your life now. Yes, I think about that too, that those the comics, uh, whatever their faults, and I know they have many, and sometimes I question my sanity and putting some of that out there because I think, you know, morally it's questionable. But yeah, it did have a therapeutic function. I think I think I was a really damaged person and I had a lot of anger that I had repressed for so long and then it all just kind of exploded out of me and I'm sorry I got if, you know, you explode and you get your whatever bodily fluids on spray. everybody. <laughs> I spray everyone, unfortunately. But they were a healing process for me and maybe an annoying process for everyone else. That aspect, I do miss having that outlet. And I think uh, whether or not the work is published or anyone ever sees it, that's kind of irrelevant to that question. You could still make the work as a part of some kind of therapeutic or cathartic thing for yourself. I remember um, in the first comic book that I did in the first issue of the embarrassingly titled Schizo Comics, uh, there was a story in there where I was just like, what's the word, like in paroxysm, like I was just shaking and I didn't even know if I could draw it the whole time. I, I don't know what the word is. Uh, yeah, I was just kind of shaking and um, losing my mind almost. Can I even do this? And and having it come out of my system did help me to put that stuff out there. And I, and I think um, I need to reconnect with the idea that if I don't have these comics anymore, which I haven't had them, something gets repressed in me that is just going to come out in a different way, but that's, it's not good or healthy for me or anyone else. And um, putting it on paper is probably the best thing to do with it. You can look at other cartoonists. Um... Well, it's not like I'm on cocaine because I'm really not. No. I just... Uh, had a very long work day. Where no, you're way so too bummed out to be on cocaine. <laughs> no, I, well, yeah, I mean, but I just, I feel like I'm talking a mile a minute. No, and, no, you know, but we had Chris Ware on the show recently, you know, although he's obviously continue to do stuff that he's kind of in a similar boat when it comes to being hyper self-critical and having a lot of self-doubt in his work yeah but are you able to look at somebody like that who you like his work yes chris and i are very very close friends i would say he's my closest friend actually so yeah i see his work and um you think he's good at what he does right uh i mean he's possibly the greatest cartoonist you know on the earth or at least in the top three or four right sure so. i absolutely agree and i ask you that because you're able to look at somebody and you're close to somebody who has an incredible amount of self-doubt about their own work and you're able to sort of write that off because... i don't know how chris does it because he is genuinely self-critical to yeah. that degree but somehow he soldiers through it and and he does it you know, he creates the work and somehow maybe having that kind of attitude he has, has toward himself, he's never allowed himself to rest on his laurel, sure. laurels. He just keeps pushing himself in a way that, I mean, it's a, it's staggering. It's amazing. I don't know how he yeah. does it, you know. I mean, I probably if I had to pick, even before knowing him and becoming good friends with him, I mean, he's doing probably the most important work in comics. I mean, it, he's totally redefined everything about 
what comics can be, you know. And I, I don't know how he can hate himself so much and do it because for me, hating myself leads me to the conclusion that I should do nothing and disappear. I don't know, maybe like the punishment of doing it because I know he doesn't enjoy it. He, he said he, you know, he, yeah. he enjoys it after it's finished because it's finished and hopefully it, it has some value. But during the making of it, he never feels any pleasure. And I believe him. You know, in the end, the only pleasure you can get is that you have done something. And that comes after you've done it. And I just never made that leap somehow. I don't know. I mean, he's a special case. Uh, the reason why I bring him up is because I'm wondering if that can give you some perspective on somebody who is clearly doing really good work, but yeah. is very hypercritical. He's giving me great advice. I'm just terrible at following any... People do like your work. You do have fans. You have been published. I'm sure that people are asking where you've been and what you've been up to. So looking at somebody like Chris, who clearly has some of the same hangups that you do, are you able to put your own hang-ups into perspective. Yeah, I don't know if I'm putting them into perspective. Uh, he's ex extraordinarily talented, and that would have been good enough for him to have like a pretty uh, substantial career as an artist. But it, that's not even like what motivates him. You know, I don't even think he believes in talent, although I think he has talent, but he doesn't really believe in it. He just believes in hard work, like that's the value of it. I mean, we are very similar in many ways, or we're very sympathetic to each other, but there's Somehow he has that piece where he can make himself work despite not liking it most of the time. And I somehow don't have that. And trying to find something a little bit like that so I could just put all the negative thoughts out of my head and just make something, you know, because uh, it really used to be so important to me to have that as an outlet and i don't know what happened so yeah that's why i said i'm a husband i feel like i have given up and i can only blame myself what kind of advice has he given you uh i can't i mean there's so much of it it was just just how to get started getting over certain things that prevent you from getting started uh, he's given me just a lot of pep talks i don't know if he wants his uh, trade secrets sure. revealed but he has a, a lot of good advice on um what to do to j like basically be a little gentle on yourself so you just get started and get into the rhythm of drawing every day. I mean, I think he's identified that, and I, I agree with him. It's just the practice of doing it every day. That's what you really need to work at. And if when you first start doing that, you can't put too much pressure on yourself. You just do it little by little so it becomes a habit. And then as you get used to that, you can add a little more time each day, and you start to feel maybe a, just a millimeter more of confidence so you can do a little more each day until it becomes a habit. I think when I was a kid, I had that. You know, I just drew all the time, and then somehow I got lost. And in a way, like his advice is to kind of rekindle that where it just becomes the habit. It doesn't matter. And when I was a kid, I was just copying books, like animation books, you know, whatever, Mickey Mouse or animation stills. I didn't question why or if that was stupid i just did it and eventually there was a lot of it and through the you know just doing it you get better just from practice and i guess it's the same thing as an adult if you just keep doing it you really can't help but get better but when you stop it's almost like you go backward and i think that's what happened to me like the when you stop it's just hard to start again momentum yeah you lose it and then it's almost like you've fallen off the bike and you have to kind of get back on the bike and start all over again and it's much better to get into a, a rhythm of a i don't know just doing it every day little by little until it starts to accumulate i mean that's just one example as there's been many things that he's tried to help me kind of get over a lot of this stuff and i am my own worst enemy so even just sometimes pointing out the many contradictions in my thought process has been helpful. So he's very good at, and he, you know, he has a great sense of humor and um, very sympathetic and 
not really judgmental. I mean, he's so much easier on other artists than he is on himself. <laughs> I looked at one of his sketchbooks a long time ago, and, and, and this has always put things into perspective for me, that my own creative process insofar as it exists. There was a, I think I pointed this out to him, he didn't, didn't remember it, but there's something on one of the pages of one of the sketchbooks where he says, like, I just wish I could draw like Gary Panther. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I mean, don't we all? Um, yeah, and I wonder how much of that is just sort of like the desire to have creativity be almost effortless. Because I mean, it seems it seems like from the outside that you know Gary Panther just sort of flows through him. It's I think it's yeah, and I'm sure that's not really true. He sure, has his no, own doubts and yeah. self torture. I know that he does, but there's something where everything he draws just comes out Gary Panther. Yeah. You know, like that's so incontrovertible. Like if you just if you give him any instrument, any stylus, he can make something, and it, it's going to come out like a Gary Panther drawing that fits playhouse, and it will look yeah. like Gary Panther and it's all part of like his whole lifelong project and it just fits in there so I don't know maybe he's able to tap into that more readily than those of us that spend a lot of time just questioning every single thing we do so you know I mean I'm sure Gary has different questions that he grapples with I mean everyone does it he had a great line once like most cartoonists, they have a dad problem, and a lot of us have a dad problem, you know, and that's that, that's that part that nags away at you, like, you suck, what are you doing, why are you wasting your time, you know. We all struggle with that, I think, most cartoonists do. I'm sure some have a mom problem that's similar, but on the surface, it looks like Gary can just do anything, yeah. you know. He's just so inventive every single time. It seems effortless. I know it isn't, it, but it almost seems like he's just got that much, like he's filled to the brim with creativity and it just always comes out. Some new thing, a new way of looking at things. You know, I think Chris and I feel we're both very rigid, constipated people, maybe. That's what it is. Do you feel that because you've been away for so long that there's more pressure? Yeah, I, well, I think I put that on myself because really, in some ways, I'm liberated from caring. There is actually a benefit to having nobody pay attention, which is you can I can kind of go back to what things were like 25 years ago where nobody cared, and I can just do what I want. Uh, it's hard to get back to that. I, that's also kind of me deluding myself because obviously I've had work published in magazines like The New Yorker, so people can easily find out about me. I'm not anonymous. It's really hard to be an anonymous cartoonist as much as I wish I could be. It's it's very strange because it's like it's your handwriting and it marks you, literally, and it's really hard to get that anonymity back. I've slowly come just come been coming to terms with this is the situation. This is where I am now. Here's what I could do from this point forward. And it doesn't really help to kind of go back to fantasies I had from 25 years ago, how things might have turned out, you know. I mean, I am fascinated by people that kind of have a chance or they get to a certain point with whatever work they're doing, artistic work or music or whatever, and then they just can't carry it through. Like, I'm really fascinated by why some people can get to that point and then they kind of rise up to the occasion and do even better work and then there's probably more people that just kind of hit a wall for one reason or another kind of fascinated by that because i think that's what i think happened to me or I, I hit a wall and i just couldn't get past a certain level with what i'm doing is working on the kids stuff helpful at all in terms of reinvigorating this i mean i i, I read an interview it was it was and i read an interview that you did around the time that the first book came out it seemed like it, it helped you tap into some of these ideas around language with regards to coming from somewhere else learning English li la later, and I'm wondering if that kind of awakened this desire to tell this story 
of being younger and moving I, I, to the States. I think States. so. I mean, I've wanted to tell this childhood story for more than 20 years now. There was something about doing that. It was good for me in that sense, too. Just drawing a playground or a classroom, just getting into that mindset of even, you know, what would a kid laugh at and kind of getting back in touch with that person. And also, it's, it's always really educational to work with Francoise Mouly because she just has such a clear eye for, like, story structure and visual structure. And her suggestions are always were on the money, like, made everything a lot better. So I just enjoy it. Because I like working with her, and I like listening to her, and I don't know, she's very passionate about everything she does, and I just hope some of that will rub off on me. Actually, doing those two books, one of them isn't out yet, but they were probably lifesavers, actually, for me, just to kind of stay with drawing. And, and it has been interesting to just draw little kids and get back into the world of how do kids think. So I think it will have an influence on what I'm doing next. Yeah, it's been very beneficial, actually. And also, just I've gone to a couple of these library conferences, and and it's so gratifying to talk to uh, people that are not big comics fans or like librarians or teachers because a lot of the tune books are used for educational purposes. But it's been great to just hear what they have to say about it and that they're enthusiastic. It was um, very gratifying to me. If somebody says the kids really like it and it's helping kids that have language difficulties or issues and just making it playful for them. I mean, that's that's been very, very uh, gratifying for me. So I'm really thankful for Francoise for even suggesting it because I didn't even think I could do it. She's one of those people that'll just say, of course you can. And then I feel like I can't let her down, so I'll, I'll do it. Maybe I should just hire her as a life coach. You need that or a deadline or something. I definitely need a deadline. And now it's become more literal, like a, as I talked about earlier. Like a death, There is a death, a death line. line. <laughs> so that helps. Um, I'm definitely somebody that needs a deadline. I, I need to feel like I would be letting somebody down if I didn't do something. And the guilt and the shame of that motivates me because I don't want to have to make that phone call to tell somebody I screwed up, I've ruined everything, I've made your life way more difficult now, you trusted me and I failed you. The potential shame of having to do that is what motivates me because I don't want to make that yeah. call. You mentioned with regard to Chris that t for him the most pleasurable part is when it's all done. What do you enjoy the most, if anything, about making comics? I, I mean, it's similar. I, th I think looking back on it, it was just knowing that I completed a project or it's and it usually does come later. I'm somebody that always has like a delayed emotional reaction in general. You look back later and uh, I, for a lot, I mean, a lot of things, I just, I can't even remember doing it or who was the person that did this. I can't even imagine having the energy now to do it. And then I'll think, well, I'm glad I did it then when I wasn't even that conscious of what I was doing, because if I had to think about it now, I couldn't do it. So there is some relief or something from knowing that there was a point where something, whatever it was at that moment, motivated me to create something. Thing, and now there's a physical, tangible product, a result of that. But, you know, that's usually like a long time later. That's kind of it, though, because for a long time, I would just, I would tell myself, you know, I really can't draw because I just feel lousy. You know, I need to get into a better mood. I need to snap out of this funk. And it doesn't work that way. Like, the only way to snap out of a funk is to do something without any joy, and then later it might bring you some pleasure. But if you're, if you're waiting to feel like doing something or f to feel better that's not going to happen until you actually start doing something and you probably won't enjoy that thing you're doing as you do it but um and there's certainly no immediate gratification in a graphic novel or something long form because it takes a long time yeah, exactly. for you to have that yeah. object exactly it's a it's a strange art form in that way i guess you know because the 
With drawing, you can certainly have a cathartic experience or painting, but then you start putting images in sequence, and that just takes time. Even if you have a very energetic, loose drawing style or painting style or whatever, the minute you're doing a comic, like something else happens where it's not about one image anymore. It's just really difficult to have that explosion of expressiveness with comics. It's not really what they're made for. I guess you could do it in little bits and pieces until it accumulates into something. It's just hard to sustain that level of energy in something like that. There you go. That was Ivan Brunetti. Recorded that one in the hotel lobby on a recent trip I made to Chicago. Thanks so much to him for taking the time to do that. I very much enjoyed that conversation. And I really look forward to him getting back into comics. He's made some of the funniest work of the past 25 or so years. And he's also been very supportive over the years. He did some great educational comics for the Daily Crosshatch back in the day when that was a going concern. Thanks to him. Thanks to you guys, as always, for listening to the program. If you like the show, there are a number of ways to support us. You can rate and review us on iTunes or if you get your podcasts, like us on Facebook, follow us on Tumblr, that's rylcast.tumblr.com. That is the first and best place to get all of your RIYL related information. If you've got any feedback, it's rylcast at gmail.com. And that's about it for this week. So stick around because we will be back just about this time next week with another episode of RIYL. 